and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Fundamism Podcast. I'm your host, Paul J. Long, coming to you all the way from the home office, which I'm certain that most of you can relate to these days. As we get into today's topic, which is super relevant right now, and one that I think that we're all challenged in identifying new ways to make our mark, if you will, I'd like to shout out our sponsor prior to going down that path. So Charlie Hustle has been with us from the jump. They got some amazing new lines out, uh, one honoring all of our uh, healthcare workers, one uh, you may have seen recently in the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, I'm not sure it's called spring training anymore, their camp, uh, but a Black Lives Matter line that's really cool. But go to charliehustle.com to learn more or potentially even fundamism.com if you want your very own Fundamism and Charlie Hustle collaboration What's Good shirt. Ladies and gentlemen, we're 90 plus episodes in to the Fundamism podcast and we have rarely broached the subject that could really significantly move our society forward. We had one gentleman months and months ago by the name of Tyler Palco, a former NFL quarterback, uh, who did uh, get into the subject, and we touched on it lightly. But today, our featured guest is, uh, he's an expert. And so this entire episode is dedicated to leadership and moving not only yourself, but your team forward. So without further ado, Buddy Hobart, founder and president of Solutions 21. What's good, buddy? Hey, Paul, how are you? Thanks for having me. You bet, my friend. I'm on cloud nine. You know, you got a lot of great stuff going on uh, and a lot of things that I want to call out to applaud you and ensure that Thank people you. understand where you bet, where to go to find out. But before, before we, uh, we really get into the meat of our discussion, same question I ask every single guest, buddy. What do you do for fun, my friend? What do I do for fun? Um, well, this might sound a little strange, but uh, I'll tell you what I am doing for fun for the last several years, actually, is uh, falling back in love with my wife. Wow. And yeah, and uh, having woken up not all that long ago to realize that she's become my best friend. Wow. So, you know, to say like hanging out with my friends, which I do, but, but I also mean hanging out with her who has become my best friend. So that's, that's kind of, if I had to answer that in the most impactful way, um, and I'm not looking to get a good dinner or anything tonight, <laughs> by the way, I'm just, you know, I'm just being honest. What can I say? Uh, but I think that that's it. Just, just falling in love with her again. Buddy, I love that answer so much because, uh, so often whenever that question is asked, what do you do for fun? We get very basic answers. Uh, and I'm talking about society, not necessarily on the Fundamism podcast, but you know, I hang out with my family, I hang out with my friends, whatever it may be. But of course, that, that doesn't create a really meaningful discussion. It really doesn't draw on emotion. And so what you said was really impactful. Thank you. I'm falling back in love with my, my, with my wife. And I want to I unpack that a little bit because sure. as, as a father of two, um, both seven and four respectively, I love my wife. She is the perfect uh, yin to my yang, to be cliche. Uh, mm-hmm. She is a natural introvert uh, to, to, uh, to balance out my extraordinary extroversion. Um, but our existence is really entirely about these children uh, right now, whether it's homeschooling or trying to keep our sanity or the bedtime routine or whatever it may be. And so what happens over time, especially when you have kids and, and you invest in your own professional development is, is sometimes if, if you don't make it a priority, you grow further and further away from the individual that you love. So tell me about this epiphany moment where you decided maybe falling back in, in love with your wife was something that you wanted. Well, um, I, I don't know that it was actually a conscious choice. So, mm. uh, um, you know, like you just said, uh, I got married a little later in life, by the way. So let me okay. put that up there. So, so we were a little older and it was both of our first marriage. Uh, and she had a career and she retired, oh, probably seven years ago. So, you know, after the initial, you know, part of the marriage and all that, you know, you're, you're on your career traveling, you know, all those things. And then after she retired, it, it changed the dynamic dramatically in that, you know, we were, we were able to do things together. So we were able to travel together and do those types of things together. And um, I, I don't know that I had thought about this till you just asked the question, but 
doing what we do, you know, we're going to segue this to some leadership discussion, doing what we do, you know, we're really at, at our, our organization, we're faced with a hard decision all the time about, you know, walking the walk, right? So, so I found myself giving advice to leaders on, on emotional intelligence, and, you know, all this stuff, uh, but not really practicing it for the person who is most important to me. Mm. So, so that's kind of how it, how it happened is I realized that uh, I don't, I have lots of faults, but being a hypocrite's not one of them. <laughs> and, and, and I didn't want to be a hypocrite. So, so I needed to take my own medicine. I needed to understand that my way is not the only way that, you know, that we were yin and yang and that, and so, you know, um, I, that's been kind of a fun journey. And, and, uh, and then I rediscovered not that I had forgotten, but I kind of rediscovered why I fell in love with her in the first place. And, and so from that point on, probably the last five, six, seven years, it's just been a whole new ride. Wow. Well, as an individual that consistently battles some of the, the phenomenons that you just referenced, i.e., you know, traveling, um, you know, being a source of energy for so many, I will say the, the person that doesn't get enough of me is, is my wife. And so... Uh, you said something that really that really hit me like a ton of bricks just now. And you said, you know, Paul, I've never really thought about it uh, until you just asked me that question. That's the whole purpose of what we're trying to accomplish here on the Fundamism Podcast. And specifically, you know, we walk through our days and interactions with uh, our direct reports or our peers or even our family and friends. And oftentimes we're on cruise control, buddy. You know, we're, we're asking questions like work, weather, and family. How you doing? Uh, I recently saw a tweet that 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 uh, that really <laughs> it really made me smile. It said, "If somebody finds out the answer to how are you doing today, please let me know." And so, right. you know, right now th- there's a lot of things going on. A lot of folks are in their head. And so, my goal with the Fundamism Podcast is to create. Uh, memorable discussions about things that potentially people don't really think about or talk about often. So enter you, Buddy Hobart, because we are trying a new format. Uh, I love it. (laughs) Hey, you can experiment all you want with me, Paul. Go ahead, fire away. What I love about this is Buddy and I literally met five minutes prior to me hitting record. We went to different high schools together, though. And I said, I'm doing a new format. And he goes, here we go. So Buddy is no stranger to radio or media. He's an international speaker. He's an author. We have a lot of things in common. And so I could tell that we're going to have a lot of fun today. And he, like me, finds a little bit of comfort in awkwardness. So uh, our, our, new, our new format is really not so much of a new format. If you guys have been listening to the Fundamism Podcast, first of all, we appreciate your support. But you understand that that fun to me is an acronym. The F stands for foundation. The U is understanding others' perspectives. And the N is next steps. And so the format of the podcast as we, as we start to progress is really about um, identifying the, the foundation of our guests, identifying what makes them tick, how they got to where they are, their definition of whatever the topic is, and then ultimately moving into the U, understanding others' perspectives. And, and how does how does their view, you know, uh, run parallel to others? How do they show a genuine interest in others? How do they, who are individuals in their life that help, you know, shape their, their future and, and where they currently are? And then lastly, the end is next steps. And one of the things that we're really trying to do with the Fundamism Podcast is we want you as the listener to actually take away something tactical, something specific that you could do as a result of our time together that could improve your quality of life, not just at work, but at home as well. So uh, strap in because here Buddy and I go with this new format. So Buddy, uh, founder and president of Solutions 21, uh, international speaker, author of the Gen Y Now series, forgive me, author of the Gen Y Now series, and you got a new book coming out. So I do. As we, as we progress through your journey in leadership, how the hell did you land on leadership as a, a job, as a career? Uh, great question. So I uh, actually started out as a sales guy. So uh, after I graduated from college, I got a job at Xerox. And back then, uh, they were kind of the, where you wanted to land. There was like a handful of those folks that did all the sales training and all that. And, and uh, then I was fortunate enough, like the mid-80s, you know, I graduated from 81 in the mid 80s. Um, a lot of competitors started to um, 
go after Xerox market share and they wanted some young, experienced sales guys, right? So I happened to fit that bill. And, and so a smaller firm hired me uh, to lead their major account sales division. And I loved that. I'm a young guy, I just want to be able to sell it, and that's all I cared about. And then as I started to uh, progress a little bit in my career, and then probably also mature and gain a little bit of wisdom, I no longer was like the young whippersnapper, um, I started to take on bigger and bigger management pieces. And then I ended up becoming a general manager. And that's important only because what I then realized was I had both sales service and administration reporting mm. to me. Yeah. And um, complete transparency here. Within probably a month of being promoted into that role, I was so embarrassed about my foundation. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, my foundation was the world revolves around sales. Nothing happens until we sell something. Like you can't have service and administrative people if you haven't sold something. Like, you know, so my, my, my world revolved around that. And then I began to realize that now I had 200 employees, 20 of which were sales folks. I owed these other 180 folks the same amount of respect and, and everything as the sales folks. And, and what I began to realize was, you know, 20, 20 sales folks were getting 95% of the resources. Mm. And, um, and, I, and I just, I was embarrassed because my whole career up to that point, I would have championed that inequity. So, um, or inequality, I should say. And, and so I um, shifted things around. Uh, we did a whole kind of cultural shift. And um, the fun part was, we, no pun intended, the fun part was that we had grown the business by like 20%, but we had tripled the pre-tax profit. Sure. So, you know, we, we had this kind of program going on and then and it hit me uh, when I was 35 years old that I liked the organizational and leadership and people development as much as I liked the business development. And so I woke up on my 35th birthday and I quit. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> and started Solutions 21. Haven't, That's haven't really... Wow. Yep. yep. After the best year I ever had, I I just said, Hey, it's time. If not now, then when? And I quit and started Solutions 21. That is phenomenal. So how long has Solutions 21 been in business? 26 years. So you can do the arithmetic now. Now (laughs) I have given given away my age. I kind of like these headphones here because they they make my hair look blacker than it is. But yeah. (laughs) That's why I'm growing this mustache out, buddy. I just turned 39 and I'm trying something new. But if you can see, there's a whole lot of gray. Don't get too close. Six feet away. (laughs) That's true. Well, listen, um, there's so many things that I want to talk about, including uh, your journey through Solutions 21. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before we get there, there's a lot of folks in in our industry, speakers, consultants, or whatever it may be, that they're they're really getting into um, speaker training, consulting training, like uh, speaker coaching, right? And I know that speaking is just one little sliver of what you do, buddy. Um, But what's interesting about that is when I I do a little discovery and I ask folks, okay, what's your methodology? What's your philosophy on transferring skill? Oftentimes what I hear is, well, I I just tell them what's worked for me. I, I just tell them what I've done to be successful. The reason why I bring that up to you is because you said that you were a very successful sales guy uh, and it's something that made you tick. So, I, I never said that. You said I was successful. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. I was a sales guy. I, you're a sales guy. However, a sales guy that, uh, that got promoted relatively quickly and ended up uh, transferring skills in direct reports, which tells me that you must have had some skill. So thank you. You're right. Uh, Man, I drew a dotted line that I that I that I, did. I hey, I appreciate. It. I'll take all the PR I can get there. Thank you. <laughs> so, before we get into how you how you took your your sales skills uh, and then found a way to transfer them into your direct reports, how did you succeed? Whatever success looks like at the time for you in sales, what was your what was your philosophy in um in, in really selling your product or service? Well. These are, these are great questions having me think through some things, not unlike what would have been allowed us to be around for 26 years here at Solutions 21 is that um, I, I think I learned early on that from a sales standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, from a change management standpoint, like it all together, 
the genius is in the question. Mm. And, and so I, I learned early on as a salesperson that, that if you ask good questions and if you can check your ego at the door and shut up and listen, <laughs> you'll hear good answers. And then if you hear those answers and you can listen and link it to a way to help somebody, uh, either you know, from a leadership standpoint, what's a developmental need somebody has, what's an organizational challenge they have, but I, but I guess to be as blunt as I can be is the genius is in the question and, and then just shut up. Buddy, so before we even get into next steps, as a Fundamism podcast listener, I hope that you all heard what he just said and, and not just heard it, but took it to heart. So the first thing that I heard was, uh, buddy, the genius is in the question. Genius is in the question. The genius is in the question. And I find that too often, especially in today's society with the divide as it relates to faith or politics or race or whatever it may be, we're trying to convince everybody else about our opinion or our expertise or whatever it may be. When the truth of the matter is nobody really cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about your opinion. Nobody cares about what you know. Nobody cares about your expertise. What they care about is what you could potentially do for them. Uh, and, and I hate to simplify that down and, and paint a broad, a broad brushstroke for everybody. I know that's not the case with everybody. But what I do know through my experience is oftentimes we as society are listening to respond more than we are to understand, which means that the more that we try to convince people how awesome we are, or what we know, the less people are actually listening. And so to Buddy's point, the quicker that we can get into discovery mode and ask questions and specifically get the listener to self-discover something that can help move them forward, the better you'll be in getting them to close an opportunity gap, aka leadership. So uh, listen and link back, check the ego at the door. We already got some good quotes, buddy. You're killing the Fundamism podcast. So, all right. So we got our, we got our sales technique down. Uh, you've identified that, you know, th- the real genius is in the question. If you link it and, uh, and listen to what they're saying, then potentially you could create value in whatever service or product you're, you're providing, especially if you check the ego at the door. Now you have to find a way to transfer that into staff. And specifically, you're leading a team of sales, service, and administration. What's your process there? How did you take what you did as a, as a sales rep and then ultimately make your team better as a result? Well, you know, that was kind of the foundational step off to start Solutions 21. So I'll go back, you know, 25 plus years. Um, I, I removed any, uh, uh, any kind of prima donna title. So sales was not, sales was just one of the three legs of the stool. Everybody was equal. Um, I started kind of a cultural empowerment process where people could make decisions and, and those types of things. Uh, and then I, I, you know, I probably set up some uh, folks who might hear this who were with me 25 years ago might laugh at this because I certainly didn't publicly go with this. But, but I wanted to have like holiday parties where sales service administration were all sitting at the same table together mm. without having assigned seating. Yes. You know, back in the day, you would go and salespeople would be sitting here and service people would be sitting here, you know. And so I, I set up kind of this little thing to get everybody communicating. So um, that, that's how I did it there. And then, and then what I realized when we started Solutions 21 was that our situation or situation I'd experienced in my previous job wasn't unusual, that this was a, um, a, a fairly normal situation where uh, people aren't communicating effectively, people aren't um, uh, aren't leading appropriately. They aren't. So, so we just took some of those things and applied it to the business we were about to start. Mm. What was your biggest challenge? If you could tap into your memory bank in identifying how to transfer those skills that you had as a sales rep to others? Well, uh, the, the, the biggest challenge I would, I would flip it a little bit from the standpoint of the biggest challenge of getting the business started was not necessarily being able to communicate those things to our clients, the biggest challenge was getting clients. Yeah. Okay. All right. right. So, um, um, 
you know, part of what I used to believe years ago is still true is that nothing happens until you sell something. So let's, sure. let's go there, you know, build a better mousetrap. People aren't beating a path to your door. So the biggest challenge was really convincing folks who would have branded me, if you will, as being an office equipment guy. Like, why should we be listening to you? So, so that was kind of the, the biggest challenge. Uh, and the, the way that we got through that, quite frankly, was going back to step A ask good questions and shut up and listen, right? So it, it, this isn't like we invented cold fusion. We just no. kept repeating, ask good questions, shut up and listen. I and, know. And so that's what we did. And now 26 years later, we've probably worked in 20 plus countries around the world. We have worked with Fortune 500 startups. Um, uh, and notice I did that backwards, Fortune 500 to startups. Yeah. Um, we have... Um, yeah, we've 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 been really on a on a pretty fantastic ride. Goodness gracious! Well, uh, I'm enamored in the short time that we have. I have a million questions, so let's see Far how we could fit in. That's right. So, so you so you start Solutions Twenty One. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're still a young a younger whippersnapper. Uh, I to am your term. And so the challenge, of course, when starting a new business is going and, and finding clients. And so you went back to square one, asking the right questions again. Theme Fundamism Podcast listener. But uh, what really stuck out with me and what you said just now is we, you know, we weren't inventing cold fusion. I struggle with this often in my own personal development, buddy. People ask me like, what books have you read? Or have you read this book? And sometimes I'm embarrassed to say, which I applaud you. You said, you know, I was embarrassed by my own personal foundation. I was. Early on. Um, you know what? I think vulnerability is one of the greatest traits a leader could, could have and express. And we can unpack that a little bit more here in a bit, but I applaud you for doing that. One of the things that I'm embarrassed by, buddy, is I don't take enough time to to learn what others are doing in our space. I don't I don't read enough. Uh, I am a gentleman that learns through experience, trial and error. And so, as such, when I do pick up a book, I feel like, like you said, your quote with Cold Fusion, so many folks are saying the exact same thing. So much so that when I, when I read my book or when I just, I just did the audio version, I'm reading it in the studio and I'm thinking, these are such basic concepts. Like I, I'm almost embarrassed by the fact that I wrote the book because when I look at it, it's like it's so basic and I wonder, is anybody getting anything out of this? But as you know, sometimes... Uh, it's hard to see the forest through the trees. It's hard, mm-hmm. obviously, to understand where we are and, and be present in the moment. So as you, as you start Solutions 21, uh, how do you keep your eye on the prize? Like through growth and identifying what you wanted and desire outcomes, how do you continue to, to improve yourself and your business? Well, frankly, some of it's luck, okay, <laughs> uh, which I'll talk to you about in a second. But... Um, um, a lot of times the books do say often the same things. Okay. But the reality is, um, they might say it in a way that catches your attention and, and, and that, then that resonates with you. So, you know, I often tell folks that if we're having a conversation, like the question you just asked is that if you only had to say one thing one time, then Coke or Pepsi would run like one commercial to Super Bowl and they wouldn't run anymore. Right, you have. To, there's different ways to message it that happens to catch you at the moment you're thirsty. Mm. Right. So, so the so like your book, um, it might say things that others have heard before, but you might say it in a way when I'm thirsty. Wow. So yeah. that's number one. <laughs> and the next thing is that we often talk, and, and again, not to be a hypocrite, is a lot of these things are simple, mm. but they're not easy. Yes. Right. Like, you know, this COVID-19, you know, I, I haven't quite put on the COVID-19 pounds, but I put on more than I would care to admit. Uh, but hey, it's simple, right? Stop eating snacks, exercise more, right? It's, it's simple. Yes. Why aren't I doing it? Right. Simple doesn't mean easy. So right. when you, when you give a, when you say something in your book and you say it at a time when I'm thirsty, then it might catch my attention. And a lot of the things that people need to do, businesses need to do, leaders need to do, um, is, is simple, just not easy, right? Wow. I mean, I'd be lying to tell you that shutting up is easy for me, <laughs> as you've just seen. 
Listen, as a as an interviewer, uh, oftentimes I, I'm challenged with that every single time. You know, people love to hear the sounds of our own voice, don't we? Uh, however, I want as much of your voice as we can handle because uh, you were just dropping little gold nuggets of information for us all to take away here, okay. and uh, I, I want to get into leadership more in depth. Okay. So. Solutions Twenty One. Give us, give us your elevator, your your mission statement, your elevator pitch. What is it that you guys do at Solutions Twenty One? Okay, uh, you know we've evolved from obviously twenty six years ago, where you know we were focused just a lot on the uh, sales leadership types of things. And this is the part of your conversation where sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Uh, so a part of the evolution. Uh, was we started to do a lot of strategic planning for businesses and a lot of uh, leadership and supervisor skill development. And then uh, in 08, I have a really good friend. His name's Herb Sendek. He's now the head basketball coach at Santa Clara University. Uh, he's coached at Miami of Ohio. He, coached, he was the coach of the year in, in, in the ACC. He was a coach of the year in the Pac-10. So, you know, pretty, pretty significant uh, resume. And he and I were talking going back to 08 and, you know, he said, end of basketball season, and we used to both play. And he said, you know, hey, you know what I do. Like, what do you do? And I start telling him a little bit. And he's a very inquisitive guy, asking some good questions. And he said, uh, well, okay, so you, you, you work across all industries, all sizes of business, all, you know, all jobs, all that. He said, but, but is there anything you're hearing that is, uh, like, universal across companies? Hmm. Let me think about that. Uh, yeah, there is. He said, what's that? I said, businesses are having a hard time attracting and retaining young talent. So this goes back 12 years, which is important for us. I'm proud of this. Um, goes back 12 years. And um, I hadn't done any of the research. I hadn't written any of these books. I'd written one or two others, but I hadn't written any of these books. And um, uh, I said, yeah, you know, and I, I started to tell him more about it. And, and, um, and then he said, well, by the way, back then, I didn't even know the name of millennials and all that, right? But right. he said, well, what do you mean young folks? I said, I don't know. Call them 25-somethings. I don't know. Um, and, and by the way, if I could do the math with you, you would have been about in that category 12 years ago. For right? sure. You know? And, so I and said, you know, they can't, you know, and I'm going, why? And he said, well, why do you think that is? And then I stepped up on my baby boomer prejudice soapbox, and I beat up on the millennials the same way as everybody else, Right. <laughs> And so I'm sitting in his backyard, and, and again, I'll full disclosure here, we're sitting in his backyard, and he, um, you know, he said to me, well, wait a minute, uh, what age is again? I said, I don't know, 25-somethings, I don't know. And then he looked, leaned up and looked at me in the eye, and he said, I don't agree. And I went like, how can you not agree? You asked me the question, like, what do you mean you don't agree? It's my answer. What do you mean you don't agree? <laughs> and, and he said, buddy, and he is the most humble so, so this was not said with one, one ounce of arrogance or anything, but he said, buddy, that's who I've been recruiting my whole career. Hmm. And if you're a division one basketball coach, there's only, you know, 350 of those jobs, right? Wow. So by definition, you're in rare air. Sure. And, and I said, well, you know, let's talk a little bit about it. And then he said this, and I, I heard this again later in my career. He said, by definition, leaders have followers can't adapt your followership, guess what that means? Wow. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I, I hesitated and I wanted to argue with him a little bit. And then I realized, no, 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 I'm wrong. Here's a guy who's made a career on this cohort, this generation, and, and I'm being a prejudiced baby boomer. I'm being the hypocrite that I don't want to be. So here's the full disclosure part. I said, open another bottle. So in the second <laughs> bottle of wine, the first book was born. <laughs> and he and I wrote two books together, uh, gratefully. They sold out. And, and the reason why I'm proud of that is that the first book was published in 2009. And um, if you do the math, the oldest millennial at the time was only 29. So the youngest was nine. So we published a book when we were advocating for this cohort long before it was popular. So we, have, we became these pioneers that in many ways we were shouting to the rain. Nobody wanted to hear what we had to say. Right. Um, but we have, so you would be the latter part of that cohort. Uh, and so we were advocating for you out of the gate where most of the books were, were negative and prejudicial and, and all that. We, we didn't go down that road. Well, I thank you, my friend. 
And uh, what's amazing to me about that story is the first speaking engagement that I ever uh, lucked into, to, uh, to use your term earlier, was uh, for a group of, of, golf, of golf course superintendents. And so the concept was fundamentalism, but they wanted it pertaining to leadership. And so we did, we did a little exercise, buddy, that I'm, I'm certain that you guys do in your workshops where we say like, pie in the sky, uh, you're the best possible leader. Ever. You're like, you're doing everything that you want to do. You're knocking it out of the park. You're connecting with others. What are all the skills and attributes necessary to, to be the atypical leader that you aspire to be? And so we, we come up with all, this, the, all these amazing things, right? So I say, if, 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 this is, if this is the pinnacle of our craft, then what are all the things that get in our way from demonstrating these things on a regular basis? So we whiteboarded them all. Right out of the gate, buddy, the first answer was uh, a Caucasian male that was probably in his 60s that said, these frickin' G-wires. And I go, what do you mean? And he says, well, they're always on their cell phones. I can't get them to do anything. They don't show up on time, blah, 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 blah. And then the whole, the whole session just takes this turn where everybody starts to say the exact same thing. That's right. So I just, I just start asking a bunch of questions, which I know, uh, based on what you said, is your philosophy as well. And we had, this, we had this moment where they finally realized, now did they do anything about it? Who knows? That we're never going to change a whole generation of people. And our perception of others may be just that, a perception. And so instead of identifying how to change others, maybe just maybe we should take a look in the mirror self-reflect a little bit and figure out how to adapt our leadership style, enter Solutions 21 and all the amazing things that you're doing in the leadership space. Thank you. So tell me, and I know that this is, uh, this, is, this is a question that could be answered a million different ways and whatever you say is right. Define leadership. That there is none. There really isn't. So, you know, there's quiet leaders, there's leaders with titles, there's leaders who understand how to to leverage their influence power over their position power, their, you know, what, what I think is a misnomer in businesses is that we follow this 20th century leadership ladder where title equals leadership. And that, that, that model is broken. It's never coming back. Mm. So, um, you know, the military, I happen to, 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 we have some, um, some, some heroes who work with us. Uh, I have the good fortune of, of uh, working with some folks at the U.S. Army War College. And, and the one thing that you realize is that, the, the, that our great military believes leaders can be made. They're not born. Mm. You know, we're not conceived to be a leader. We're made. We, we have to learn. We have to, we have to develop. And one of the things you had said earlier about reading a book, um, the thing that frustrates me at the moment, although we're working hard to overcome this, is that in the 20th century, um, Leadership was assigned because of tenure. Yes. So you've been here 30 years. You now must be X. You have yeah. to move up, right? And there's so many things. So in, the, in this latest book, we're breaking down a lot of these things. So we're telling businesses that they have to burn their career ladder. We need to have a career chessboard. We need to be able to move pieces across the board. Uh, that experience doesn't equal leadership. Leadership equals leadership. And so what we have found and it's very frustrating to me, uh, but, but, I'm, but I'm seeing the, the silver lining in our current uh, global challenge is that um, in, the, in, in the industrial mindset is that experience equaled leadership. And so you take your, your most experienced welder. He's been here 30 years. You make him the manager of the welders. You know. uh, meanwhile, he hates people. He doesn't want to deal with people, right? <laughs> but now we're going to make him deal with people. He knows how to weld. That's all he wants to do, right? Exactly right. Now we're going to have him deal with people. Um, and then we wonder why the people under him quit. Right. Right. So that, that 60 something who yelled that out, um, it, it missed the whole point. The whole point is that if you're losing talented people, go home and look in the mirror, mm. they're quitting you. Yes. And so in, 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 a, in a million man army, um, at, at any one time, 20% of, um, uh, of the army is actually in training for their next assignment. How about that? Uh, if you become a colonel in the army, you're in the upper 2% of, of all military leaders. And 
by that time, you know, you've had a 20, 25 year career, but about every four or five years, you spend at least a year working on leadership. So what you think about that. So you retire 25 year career, you spend four or five years working on leadership, just working on leadership. Right. And so this next book I've actually dedicated to military leaders, especially to folks I've met at the U S army war college for the simple reason a, I admire them, so there's more reasons, but the reason is they're the, uh, they're the one executive group I've worked with in my entire life that gets that leadership is a destination. I'm sorry, it's a journey, not a destination. They get that they never arrive. They get they have to sharpen their saw. They get that these things might be simple but not easy, and they have to keep working at it and understanding it, and, and, and they get that. Um, but, but businesses for the most part don't. And so the silver lining I'm hoping for, for a whole lot of reasons, I think it'll, it'll restore a lot of our, um, national might to tell you the truth. I think it will. I think it will restore a lot of, a lot of things is that we've hit an inflection point and my research has shown we were going to hit this inflection point anyway. Right. So if you go back and I won't bore you with all this, but if you go back and start at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, the speed of of additional industrial revolutions have brought us to 2020. And I can track it like you can track the stock market. Mm. So this was going to happen anyway. But what's happened is the global pandemic has made it instead of a bit of like a dawning where the sun comes up and it gets lighter and lighter, you know, over, over time, it's thrown a light switch on. So we probably had a year or two or three. This is going to happen in 2022, 2023 anyway. It's a, it's a certainty. You can track it like you can track the stock market. But what's happened is there's been a light switch thrown on this. We've hit this inflection point, and now we're deer in a headlights. We don't know what to do because we've not developed this depth of leadership that we need to do. Goodness. Well, you said uh, you won't bore me with the details. While I'm not an avid reader, uh, this is how I learn. I'm fascinated by talking to individuals that obviously have a skill set beyond my own. So you referenced your book, uh, The Leadership Decade, a playbook for an extraordinary area, era that's coming out this month. Is that accurate? You got a, you got it a is, yep. date yet? I'm sorry? You got a date yet? Uh, it, the, the book launch is August 11th. Okay. Uh, I actually held the proof in my hand yesterday, so I know it's real. I had I actually held it in my hand. So. Congratulations! Thank you. I know that process is is tedious uh, and very gratifying once it comes to fruition. So let's uh, let's transition from from foundation into the you understanding others' perspectives because I know that one of the things that you thrive in uh, as the founder and president of Solutions Twenty One is not just connecting with your clients because to your point, you have to get the business, right? Right. Uh, But then identifying their workforce. And in order to reduce attrition, we have to understand uh, what it is our employees are looking for. Um, This is something that that is very near and dear to my heart, buddy, because for years, people had set a little back backdrop on me, not that you're interested, but I grew up uh, in corporate culture, corporate America. My first job out of college uh, after graduating uh, from the UMKC uh, Kangaroos uh, was uh, I was an underwriter on the phones uh, for an insurance company. And I, I did the whole leadership, you know, corporate ladder climb and all that stuff. And I saw a lot of folks, to your point, not just get promoted based on tenure and role, but also skill set and role. And what was amazing about that is you mentioned the welder. You're promoting a sales rep for a phenomenal job that they're doing in sales, but you're not necessarily, historically, in what I've seen with organizations, not necessarily promoting on leadership aptitude, right? Or their runway. And so the further that I went up the corporate ladder, and in my experience with other organizations, this is similar, the further you go up the ladder, the less development you get. And, right. so, and so it's really just trial and error. It's trying things out. So in order to reduce attrition, I know that you have to create a, a culture uh, where people actually want to come to work and they feel valued and they feel appreciated. What is it that you've done in your, in your um, not just educating yourself, but what you do for clients and understanding the workforce and how you adapt leadership style to meet them where they are? Well, I, I, I'll hit this in two ways. So um, 
The first is that we help current leadership, which all ageism aside, um, let's look at the more experienced uh, leaders. So, so my, my cohort, um, we, we help them understand the reality of the current situation. Okay. And, and I don't do all this work. We have, we have many others, but, um, you know, the reality is I'm a gray hair. I'm a 61 year old baby boomer who is advocating for these newest generations. I'm not a millennial advocating for millennials. Right. Right. And now I have 12 years experience doing it. And now, by the way, I teach an elective at the U S army war college of military leaders around the world. who want to, So, so we have some street cred. Yes. Okay. Uh, so we help current leadership level set their mindset. So with that, one of the things that, that you are, you talked about is, um, well, how do you do that? And, and, and the first thing is we make them realize they're just human. We're just human. So the, what I'm about to say has so many um, applications for this inflection point. You talked about your, your sponsor and with the, the Black Lives Matter um, line and all those things. Um, so we have a chapter in the book. The book was already to printer uh, prior to some of these things, but uh, the book is really one about science and, and how the brain works and that we are, we're literally as human beings wired to be prejudiced. We're just mm. wired that way. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a survival mechanism. The other thing is we are wired for denial. It's, that's also like, like we're, it's a, is physiological beings. We're wired this way. Right. So the things that we're seeing and in my book, I talk about it as prejudice towards generations, because make no mistake, it's a two way street. So make, make no mistake that millennials are prejudiced toward baby boomers, baby boomers, prejudiced toward millennials. Gen X hates us all. You know, like we can, you know, we can do the whole thing. Right. But make no mistake, we're wired to be prejudiced. We're wired that way. OK. And then there are these things like actor observer bias and the fundamental attribution error and, and all those things, right? So we're wired this way. So, so a lot of what's happening is because we're human. But here's the challenge, and I challenge leaders, and in the book I only deal with this as it relates to the prejudice of generations. But you can extrapolate this out to everything that we're experiencing now at this inflection point. Uh, the difference between man and animals is our ability to reason. So the fact that prejudice is pre-wired into my brain doesn't mean I have to go down that road. Right. And the fact that uh, denial is pre-wired into my brain, I don't have to go down that road. So, you know, you have a conversation with somebody, I don't want to get political, but it's very relevant. And you mentioned it even in the beginning is, is uh, when you hear people say that, you know, I'm not prejudiced. Right. Then that means you're not human. <laughs> Wow. You can't, you just can't say that. Yes. You can say I've reasoned my way through my prejudices, but you can't say you're not prejudiced. Mm. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Right. And we're wired for denial. So now what happens is um, we're wired for denial. So all you're doing is also being human by denying it. Mm. Right. So, so we've studied all this. There's a, there, so the, the one thing we do is we, we level set senior leadership. Then your second part of your question is then what do we do next? We develop the next leaders. So who's up and coming? Who's what, how are we developing this next level of leadership? Um, we help them to, we help senior leaders overcome, overcome their prejudice. We help next leaders understand what it takes to be a leader. And you asked a question earlier about speaking. I speak because I'm, a, I'm an author who speaks. I'm not really a speaker. Okay. Because, you know, that's kind of nice. You can give people a tidbit. But, but the reality is the way the human, way humans learn takes time. For right? sure. So, so we develop the, our next leaders over a, an annual program. And they get classroom. And they get individual. They get a leadership coach. So we, we help that next generation develop their leadership skills. Now, here's the crazy thing, Paul, and this is the one that we're really working hard to overcome, that is in the 20th century, um, in industrial mentality, is that any type of uh, proactive development was looked at as an expense. Yes. So even in this period of time, 
you know, we're, we're struggling, you know, businesses are struggling. They're looking at, so they cut it. Right. Right. And then they send this unintended message that it really isn't all that important. Anyway, it doesn't matter to us. We cut it. We didn't mean to, that wasn't the intent of the message, but that's what everybody hears. Like, Hey, we had this leadership development. Now we don't, we cut it as an expense. That's number one. Number two, and I would, and I have debated this and actually don't even need to debate it anymore with folks is if anybody listening to this podcast has ever been through a merger acquisition, they'll know this to be true is that financial institutions, the first thing they, they look at are your financials, right? So if they're buying your business or you're merging your business or you're selling your business or whatever, they look at your financials. They don't even ask for them. That's just, that's just understood. The first question they ask is your depth of leadership. Really? Across the board. I have opened that up as, I'm, as I am speaking to organizations. I've opened it up and asked people to raise their hand. If they've been through a merger and acquisition. They raise their hand. And then I say that and I say, and everybody, everybody. So can you imagine you're in a room of complete strangers and you open yourself up to be that, um, to, to, to be uh, uh, told you're wrong right out of the gate, right? No one has, has yet said that's not true. Because your depth of leadership adds, how about this, 4 to 50x ROI. So if you're investing $100,000 a year to pick a number on, um, your, on developing your leadership, if you're a, a business now and you go and you turn to sell this business, you're going to get a, a, a 2 to $5 million return on it. Mm. Buddy, we... So you, you reside in Pittsburgh, is that accurate, with your wife? Yes, yes. We have an office in Kansas City. Do you ever get out here very often? We do, yeah. We, uh, I, I, we got to sit down and have a lunch because there's a million things that I, I'm just enamored with so many topics that you just said. Obviously, uh, the depth of leadership, super important. Specifically, one thing that I found is um, a lot of individuals, specifically frontline staff and mid-level managers, believe that all of the change comes from top down, right? And so if, if Buddy would show more of an interest in me and transferred skills on however to, you know, sell or insert whatever development skill necessary here, that I would be better or culture would be better. But what you said is that that's just one element of, of what just we one element, about, right? Because obviously change can happen bottom up, Right. Uh, enter all of the things that individuals are trying to do right now in politics and protests and whatever it may be. If people didn't truly believe that you could create change from the bottom up, then we wouldn't see any of this stuff. None of that. So that's right. So I love what you're saying there. Um, this 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 quote that you had related to the topic of being human and how we're all wired to be prejudiced. So if somebody tells you I'm not prejudiced, well, you say that maybe I've, you've reasoned your way out of or through your prejudice. That is phenomenal to me because to your point, it's very difficult to go into any situation with zero ego, right? That's right. And so when you think about prejudice, oftentimes we go to race, right? But prejudice is your narrative, your opinion, That's whatever right. you see, right? And so it is my belief, uh, and probably very similar to yours, that whatever you want to see, buddy, in this universe or Fundamism podcast listener, you're going to see, like, because you're looking for it. If you're constantly walking through the, the weeds expecting to find a snake, you're going to get bit, right? If you're open to opportunity, if you are open to whatever uh, could happen and you keep an open mind, well, maybe you'd be surprised. So ultimately, I love this concept of realizing that the human way is being prejudiced in some way. And we have to find a way to combat that or balance it out. So uh, also uh, the denial piece, you know, in working with leaders for years and years and years, as you have, buddy, um, I'm sure you've not only have clients, but family members that whenever we create elements of self-discovery or environments where we really get into why things are working or not working the way that they are, the first thing people typically do, and I put this more on the, 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 the teacher or the leader than the recipient or the participant, is that folks tend to push back. Well, what do you mean? I'm not that way. Or I, I don't agree with you, buddy, right? Your, your friend, I don't agree with you, buddy. That's not my, I, I don't see that. Well, that's that wired for denial piece. 
And that's exactly right. If you say something that is, uh, is against my perspective, uh, or prejudicial to my point of view, because it's not yours, then ultimately you're never going to grow as a leader. So let's start to take that and move into next steps, buddy. So we got a solid understanding of your personal foundation, uh, some of your embarrassments and, and obviously what's made you successful, quote unquote, however you define it in the space. We've talked about understanding others' perspectives and how you work with clients and, and even uh, the next generation of leaders to help close opportunity gaps. If we think about the in and fun, which is next steps, because as I told you, without the in and fun, it's just FU. Uh, I'd like for folks to walk away from our time together on the Fundamentalism Podcast with something tactical, something that they could do to help start to close opportunity gaps. Now, I know something that you said um, is something that I struggle with every single day, buddy, as a keynote speaker. I, I spent years in the consulting space and specifically consulting and sales service and administration. And uh, so I got to see behavioral change. And I, I got to, you know, one of, the, one of my favorite questions to ask whenever working with a new client back then was, how often are you regularly scheduled one-on-ones? Now, that's a very deliberate question, right? I'm assuming that they are regularly scheduled. And the number of folks, buddy, that said, uh, what do you mean? Uh, was phenomenal to me. And then through COVID, as you stated, and, and forgive me, I'm vomiting all over you with information, and I'm going to turn it back to you here in a second. Um, through, this, through COVID and, and the pandemic and, and this virtual leadership now, what's interesting is I'm talking to folks. I'll say, what's your schedule like? Or how long, uh, when was the last time you met with your leader? Well, the first thing that is going off of calendars is development. So, oh, well, we, we, we actually haven't had our one-on-one in the last three months. Well, why not? Uh, we just haven't had time. So what Buddy said and what you're exuding as a leader is you're saying that development isn't important to you. There is no better time to invest in your staff than right now. Do we know where their head's at? Do we know how this anxiety, this depression, this mental health is hitting them as a result of not having, uh, potentially not having interaction? So moving on to next steps, what would you say, and again, I know that you thrive in working uh, in longevity with clients and it takes time to develop skills and you're not going to do this in an hour of keynote time like myself. The thing that I struggle with is not seeing behavioral change. What, what can folks do as a result of our time together? Uh, what can folks do to move forward and close opportunity gaps in their leadership style? Well, let me pick up on your, on your uh, one-on-one process. Um, we actually have an entire piece of the book about that. Um, and, and it'll link to your other question here too about what, what we can do is that for m- most of us who are listening to this, we grew up in a world where no news is good news, right? <laughs> if I'm in front of a thousand people, I, I have them say, okay, I'm going to say something and you finish the sentence for me, right? No news is. <laughs> and I've done it in like 14 different languages, quite literally. And I say, say it in your native language and they all answer. So even around the world, no news is good news. That, that, that's dead. Put a fork in it, right? That's a, that's a leadership concept that never really worked then. Mm. Okay. So this concept that you just talked about, it's in the book. It's about, you know, we have a one-on-one process. We help people develop, um, um, which I will only add a little, little gasoline to these flames is even that much more critical in this remote world. Because if you're not intentionally reaching out to your remote workers with this one-on-one process, you will be losing. You'll be losing them psychologically. You'll be losing their, their engagement. You're going to be losing their productivity. And then what happens is, is that then the leader blames it on the employee. Mm. And so if I could be as, I'm going to give you some things right away. The first one is this, to answer your question, what can we do? So this is almost like the, the hopefully this hits somebody who's listening when they're thirsty. Okay. Yes. Is that, the first thing we can do is just look in the mirror. Mm. Just look in the mirror, right? So, so to be, not even to be funny, but you know, I'm, 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 I'm getting older. I put on 10 pounds, my hair is gray. Like when I look in the, ear, in the mirror, I see a middle-aged guy who needs to lose 10 pounds with gray hair, right? <laughs> like I, I can't, de- like denying that, arguing with that, like that's just dumb, right? right? I mean, I'm a gray hair now. I have to accept that. So, so the first thing I would ask anybody who's listening to do is to accept that you're a human, 
just start there. Accept it. Stop denying it. There, are, there's all this brain research we cover in our book. You know, we're not. I'm not. A, I'm not an expert in that, so I covered in a kind of a, a layman's way. Um, but, but there's all this brain research that kind of shows why we are what we are, and yet we fight it and deny it. But, but if you're human and you have a brain, now, now, I could say you can be human and not want to use your brain. So I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, if you don't want to use your brain, you can tune out right now. But the first step is look in the mirror, just admit you're human. Yes. Stop saying, you know, I've been doing this 40 years. I know what I'm doing. No, you don't. You've never been through a global pandemic. Just stop it. <laughs> don't say you're not prejudiced. Just stop it. Yes, you are. Oh don't say you're not in denial. Yes, you are. You're human. So that's number one. Then, then what I would say is this. Once, you're, once you just be okay with that, then um, be aware. So open your brain up to some awareness. And, and some of the things I would, I would tell folks to, to think about is do a little reading about emotional intelligence. So you talk about the you being understand. Like emotional intelligence is the deal, right? It is the deal. It's, no, it's not some soft, squishy, you know, uh, esoteric discussion. It is the deal, right? Uh, someday when we, when we meet for that lunch, I'll tell you a story to, to, to drive that home. It is the deal. Um, so let's gain some awareness on those types of things. Let's, if you're really interested, Google uh, anterior temporal pull, your anterior temporal pull. And actually, Google anterior temporal pull and prejudice. Mm-hmm. And, and what you're going to find is all this research around why we are, in fact, prejudiced. Now, all my research was around why we're prejudiced against generations. But you can just take the word generation out and put anything in there. So, so as to not make this racial, um, I grew up in an industrial town uh, that was really where U.S. Steel started. Uh, Andrew Carnegie started his – there was a town called Homestead. It's where uh, Andrew Carnegie started a steel mill. And, and as you might imagine, over the years, there were all these immigrants come in and start their own thing. So within a five square block area of my home were seven Roman Catholic churches. Mm. Now, there were like six Lutheran churches, so it wasn't Roman Catholic. My point is that we were even prejudiced against people who shared our same denomination but had a different ethnicity. Wow. So let's take color out of it. So, so the Irish could not go to church with the Polish, and the Polish couldn't go with the Lithuanians, and the Lithuanians couldn't go with the Russians. Like, and, and, we're, and, and we're going to church. Right. Okay? So let's just admit this. And if you do a little research on your interior temporal pull, I think you'll find that. And then maybe the final piece of the end um, of, for what to do now is please understand. Please, any leader listening to this, please understand. Time is not on your side. Mm. So, so many other strategies allowed for this dawning. So the sun's coming up and I have three hours now or, or we're going to implement this change and we can do it over two or three years. But we have reached an inflection point both culturally, and, and I'll set that argument aside that you, you can just think about that, but the demographically where... Um, you know, 50% of, of, the, of the main wage earners in India are millennials. 50%. Wow. Okay, within the next five years, um, uh, the average age in India is going to be 29. I want you to do that math. The average age is like 1.3 billion people, right? So, so time is not on our side. We are at an inflection point. Those folks who understand they need to invest in their leadership moving forward, they need to invest now, they need to stop looking at it as an expense, but as an investment, they need to understand the ROI because the word expense and investment is different. I had a conversation with a business leader not that long ago, and and I challenged him on, are you spending time with you people or are you investing time? Mm. Those are two different concepts, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in words matter. So... I would simply say if somebody's listening to this and they happen to be thirsty and they really want to develop a little bit of their leadership, number one, just give yourself a get out of jail free card, man, you're human. We're all human. Like, let's just accept it. Let's develop some awareness that, that we're wired in a way that's going to require us as leaders to have the managerial courage to leverage some, some wisdom 
and reason our way through. Let's do some reading about biases and emotional intelligence. And please understand, time is not on your side. Wow. Buddy, insightful, uh, intelligent. Uh, I learned a ton of new things. And uh, I really love you simplifying the three takeaways. Um, I could tell that you're very, very talented at what you do as evidence, not just by your tenure in role. <laughs> hey, promote this guy. He's been doing it for years. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm moving to retirement, so don't promote me. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not your guy. Listen, if you want to learn more about Buddy um, and, and, and his takeaways, i.e. accept that you're human, uh, be open, open your brain, have a little awareness and emotional intelligence, and understand that time is not your side. You're going to want to be on the lookout for his new book, The Leadership Decade, a playbook for an extraordinary era. Hold Me Accountable, buddy, drops August 11th. Is that accurate? Yes, sir. August 11th. Uh, in addition to that, I think that we could find you at solutions21.com. Is that Yes, accurate? sir. Awesome. Yes, sir. Any other places that people could find information about you, my friend, or that you would like to direct them to? Um, I, I, I wish I had that answer off the top of my head, but I'm a caveman. So my, my team is going to be angry at me for that. But yes, solutions21.com is probably the best. I'll ask your team prior to posting, my friend. Listen, from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to say thank you, buddy, for being a guest. And to the Fundamism Podcast listeners, thank you. Without this, uh, without this platform, uh, I don't know where I would be. Uh, and this platform is nothing without you. So specifically, your support uh, and interest in identifying ways to have more fun and develop ourselves uh, is driving me to do more. So from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to say thank you. Uh, as always, please go out and have some fun in your today and create some fun in the lives of others. And until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. Deuces! 